You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 Network. You're listening to episode 366 and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. Nick is back today for his quarterly co-hosting check-in. How are you doing, Nick? Brittany, I am fantastic. It's it's good to be here again. It's uh, it's great. It's spring. It's a new year, and uh, you know, uh, I'm in a different employment than last we talked. So it's it's pretty good over here. Yeah. So what has changed in your world? So yeah, I think the last time we spoke uh, later in 2020, we were talking about there's lots of changes at Chef Software, and one of the natural things that happened there is just attrition. Um, you know, not everybody chooses to stay on, and for me, Chef Software wasn't going to be part of my uh, journey anymore. Nothing. I'm not covering up anything saucy. It's just a very normal thing that happens with company acquisitions. And looking out there. Um, you know, I, I didn't want to do a full rigmarole of applications, you know, to dozens of places. It's a re- that's something you only want to do a few times in your life. So I said to my wife, you know, I'm going to apply to one company, my dream company, before Christmas and just really give it all I have. And I expected to fail and then do the big slog, you know, after a holidays. But I got it and it was uh, Shopify. So I am, as, as of this week, going to be two months into a senior production engineering role with uh, Shopify. That is so wonderful and I'm so excited for you. And really the timing worked out well just because, you know, it seems like Shopify has really changed their model around hiring developers. As we all know, you are outside of Canada. And at one point they were, it seems like they were only hiring developers within Canada, but because of, you know, COVID, pandemic, they have really shifted towards remote and it seems like they're also hiring a lot of developers. So I'm curious, you know, how did you start that conversation and what was the interview process like? Sure. Yes. And and to your first point, uh, you know, everybody probably who goes on a podcast says that they are hiring, but I think it's a very unique moment in history where Shopify called their shot and said on New Year's Day, they're hiring 2021 engineers. Um, so that is you know 2021 and 2021 which is roughly a doubling of the engineering staff at the company uh so yeah it's it's a it was a decent time to apply i actually applied a couple months before that but uh you know good timing right um the interview process you know was was fantastic it was i will say like it's not you don't just send your resume in and you know do one chat it was uh maybe a four to six part process. Um, it is is a long one. It's a thorough one, but I think they're trying to hire folks. You know, what they've said to me is they want this to be the last place you work, not, you know, lock you in, but really get people who want to, to hone their craft so they take the interview process seriously. But I'd like to flip the other side of that because we've talked about interviewing in the past and hiring and being on both sides. And I found this process to be one of the nicest and most empathetic and, and decent possible because I have gone through processes where I felt like they didn't, I did well, but they didn't actually see my good sides. And then I've also not made it through interview processes where I felt like it was unfair. And this was a process where if I hadn't have made it through, I still felt like they saw the best of my soft skills, they saw the best of my technical skills and they didn't have a lot of my pet peeves. So some of my pet peeves are, um, you know, deep, deep coding challenges where the pressure's laid on you and there's no interaction or, 
you know, you're given these systems design interviews. I don't know if that's the right term, but you know, where you're basically talking about sharding databases and then like things that you like, you, you just keep going out beyond things that you'd never have experience with and, and you're tested on that for systems design. Um, whereas this was, you know, yeah, they could, they'd see if you could code. Uh, they'd ask you to talk really in depth about yourself, your life, uh, how you like to learn, things you've worked on, and just kind of let you self-direct it. There'd be elements where, yeah, you were live coding, but it was more human. You know, you could sit there and talk and have a sip from your cup of coffee. You weren't mashing on the keyboard. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's, it's great. And they are definitely uh, where we aren't probably going back you know, to these offices. And yes, there's a strong Canadian presence and I enjoy that because of the Canadian uh, trivia that I get to learn. I actually don't know a tremendous number of Canadians. And, uh, but for Europe, this is really interesting because I remember looking at them a year or two ago and yeah, there were some remote, but I don't think the breakdown was very many. Whereas now I think maybe 10% of engineering is European already and that's before this big hiring spree. So yeah, I, I'm not trying to do a big ad here, but if you are a remote engineer, which I think almost everyone is during this pandemic, uh, and you're interested, this would probably be the best time to throw something out there to them. So I am curious, did you know what team you were interviewing for? Because I can't imagine there are 4,000 developers who are working all in the same thing. I imagine you have thousands of Rails applications. So did you know what team they were aiming you for or did you get hired and then had an internal discussion about where you'd be placed? Oh, that's a great question. So there, there would be, uh, the beginning was very 30,000 foot level. And then maybe when you get to around stage three or four, you know, you could talk with the, your, they do all internal recruitment, which is also quite nice. So you have people who are very familiar and bought into the company. Um, and you start talking like, oh, Nick, would you be interested in this sort of work? I think I have a team, you know, cause it, you know where the, the vacancies are. And obviously at the hiring spree, almost every team has vacancies now. Um, and they try and find a slot for you and then you do more specific ones. So I'd interviewed with someone who I don't know was directly on the team, but was close to the team, you know, a couple of people. Um, I'd interviewed, uh, you know, directly with the manager. And, and I can't, I don't have it in front of me, but I think a lot of teams at Shopify would be somewhere between the four to 14 people range. So that's very small. And a lot of your interactions would be on the team level. It is wider, you know, it's got a whole structure, but your day to day is on that team level. So you don't feel as much like you're in a, you know, 8,000 person company if you count all the employees, you know, you do, you do feel the similar team sizes to, to prior companies. And you, and you have a specific scope and a job, you know, it's not just uh, people thrown at the core monolith all day long, uh, which has enough work on it as well. So we've had several guests on the show from Shopify to talk about, you know, either they're Rails core contributors, Ruby core contributors, or they are maintaining libraries at Shopify for the Ruby community. So I'm curious, how much interaction do you have with those types of people? And you know, how, how geared is Shopify towards Ruby in general, or are they starting to split out to other frameworks and languages as well? 
Sure, uh, I'll qualify this with this is a big fat opinion from myself from being uh, from working for the company. So I'm not saying that this is what the CEO says or, or, or whatever, but I, I feel that Shopify is fully invested in Ruby. I feel like they've doubled down Ruby and Rails and finding, you know, being on the bleeding edge of that and continuing to do that. Uh, I think they're posting, you know, there's there were uh, times like during Black Friday, Cyber Monday, you're looking at over a million dollars a minute transacted. That's the that's a pretty big scale. And it, and we're all in on Ruby. So, yeah, uh, it is interesting, right? Like there were, were to work going to a company where you've known these Rubyists for a while, like known of them, like Raphael Francois, who you had on a few weeks ago, Aaron Patterson, who uh, has been on this podcast years ago. Um, you know, now they're in your Slack channels, right? Like now they're part of it. And then, but then even the people you wouldn't know ahead of time, like a lot of people who you'd be see speaking regularly at Ruby Kagi and, and RailsConf and RubyConf just are, are a part of the company. And it's, it's a real treat to have that kind of heavyweight. And this brings me to something that I think would be a bit more interesting to both of us. Um, you know, you look at the future of Ruby and the future of Rails, and a lot of people will say, oh, you know, not all the boot camps are doing Ruby and Rails anymore. Ruby, and, and they, they take that as a sign, like the canary in the mine for the future. But what I'm starting to see, not just as big time at Shopify, but also elsewhere I've worked, is it, that's fine if the boot camps aren't producing this because there are so many people who will come to Shopify or similar companies and they will be taught Ruby because Ruby is what is used, right? So you know, those are the silent dark boot camps, thousands of engineers a year coming into the stack professionally. So you know, you'll see um, the company will look at them and say, this is a great learner, this is a fantastic person. They know Go and React, but that's fine. They're gonna be a Rubyist by the end of the month. And that's, I think Ruby really caters to that. And a lot of, almost everyone I know, I don't know anyone at Shopify who learned Ruby at Shopify who hates it. Uh, there is a lot of love for the Rails and Ruby here. That's wonderful. So what team did you ultimately land on, Nick? Yeah, sure. So my team is called uh, Production Excellence. Uh, we work on, oh, this is fun when you're an organization this size, like how can you say? Uh, but we work on internal tooling mostly. So, uh, you know, when you have uh, thousands of engineers, um, they will be using some tooling that is bespoke and internal to us. And it's, I find it really fun to work in this space because you get to be your own customer. So if I was working, say, on the core monolith with product, I'd probably be thinking, we, everyone in the company is merchant obsessed and believes in the, in the mission and making commerce better for everyone. And yes, I'm quoting like mission statements here, but that we do. But um, if you were on, say, the core monolith, you might be thinking more of what's the merchant experience? Uh, we facilitate that by thinking, what's our engineer's experience and how can we improve that and improve standards and conventions internally with our tooling? And it's super fun because you get to ask yourself that question, right? If I was a Shopify engineer, what would I find helpful? Um, so it's really fun uh, to, be, to be working on the production excellence team. Do you have a product manager that's devoted to that team who's like talking to different developers to figure out what tooling to build? So it, I got to say, since I've joined, and mind you, the onboarding is relatively lengthy for a place this size. There has been a fair few changes just in team makeups and things getting split in large part because of preparation for a lot of hiring this year. So the answer to that is, eh. 
<laughs> because it, because we're just there's so much flow. But the the one thing I do appreciate about the company is they don't seem the type to hire engineers and throw them into a foxhole for twenty years and that's and give them that domain. It seems very mobile, uh, where you are going to be you know moving around and you should be ready to be moved from A to B. But it's not micromanagement or change for the sake of change. It's just um, keeping people nimble. And I think that's really good because if I worked on exactly the same part of an application or product for like three, four years and didn't do anything different, I might either get the itch to leave or I might get, or worse, I might get really protective and not want to work on anything else because I haven't learned anything else. Um, But they seem very committed to the kind of continual learning. One thing that I've always noted about Shopify is how committed they are to the developer career path. And, you know, this is a question I've never actually posed to you, Nick, is do you see yourself going down the manager route or do you see yourself going down the principal engineer route? That's that's an awesome question. And it's one I've thought about in the last couple of years. You know, I've talked to my managers and and you see uh, the directions. Um, I think my opinion could change, but I have I have been of the feeling looking at both roles and, and having mentors on both sides that I would, ten, 15 years from now, I think principal suits me. I know I, I, I like to think of myself as empathetic and like working with people and mentorship, but I think there still is a leadership component in that with going down the engineer, principal engineer route as opposed to manage, managing engineer. I think you could still code in both, but that's probably where my heart's currently set. Now, I'm not a principal engineer, by the way. Um, and I'm nowhere near, uh, you know, that's a ways away from me, but, um, that's kind of, uh, what I was thinking, but it's, it's nothing against the managerial side and I, and I might change my mind in three years and actually want to uh, take on those sorts of responsibilities, but that's kind of, kind of where I'm at. It's a, I think that's, that was almost a whole podcast in itself, right? Like talking about those two potential routes. And I, I don't even remember hearing it talked about a lot until the last couple of years. Maybe it just wasn't in my my uh, thing but I see more formal like career paths talked about like you'd sit down and you'd, you'd have this conversation with your manager which where which way do you want to go you know this episode of the 5x5 Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by Raygun are you using the latest tools to monitor your Ruby apps performance with Raygun error and performance monitoring, you have all the information you need at your fingertips to quickly find and fix errors and performance problems across your tech stack down to the line of code. Raygun gives you real-time visibility into the health of your software so you can see how your code performs in the hands of who matters most, your customers. Save time, money, and sanity by visiting raygun.com ruby and join thousands of software teams who use Raygun every day to ship better quality code faster. It takes just minutes to set up and starts from as little as $4 per month. This is a tool you definitely want to check out. So head to raygun.com ruby to get started on your free 14-day trial or simply search Raygun on the Heroku Marketplace. Thanks to Raygun for supporting the show. Well, I have a theory that a lot of the Ruby on Rails applications out there are hitting that maturity level and they're scaling up or you're in an organization like yourself where there are a ton of, of apps 
And so it is possible to carve out being a principal engineer working on an application like that. I think a lot of developers at one point thought the managerial route was the only way to go. But really, there's that principal engineer level. There's that architect level, which I think it's important to understand that that's out there. I think a key thing, too, Nick, is, you know, some of us are, you know, a developer as a second career. And so it's it's tough to know how hard we had to struggle in order to learn how to code and to then learn to code, then go down the managerial path and supposedly lose that ability. It, it's a tough pill to swallow. And so for me, I actually do want to go the, down the engineering manager path, but I don't want to lose that ability how to code. And that that will always be, I think, a question mark for me on how I manage to do that. What's that? Yeah, I'm interested in that. So what what tactics or things have you seen or do you try to employ to ensure that you're still in the code? Because I'll, I'll, I can say internally, I think for a lot of places I've worked, there will be a description. And I think managers, there'll still be a line about still codes. But sometimes the only thing it says is still codes. Like what does that, there's a million ways that could look. Um, how do you try or how are you thinking of trying uh, to preserve that side of the craft? Yeah, that's such a good question. When I got hired at Texas, you know, I was hired as the back-end lead with the understanding that I was going to code about 50% of the time. Now, since I've taken over the front-end lead duties as well, I mean, I would say that's probably around 25 to 30%. But we're hiring a VP of engineering. And it, I will tell you, it's very interesting to be interviewing the person who is going to be your boss. I've actually never done that before. I've hired people that will report to me, but I've actually never hired someone who I'm going to report to. Um, but at the goal is of getting that VP of engineering in is so that I can return to code. And I think the very base of staying technical is reviewing pull requests. I think if you continue to do that, at least you understand the code that's going in, how a feature is built, that can definitely keep you technical. I think when you lose that ability, it's very easy to become distant from the code base. Yeah, I think, I, th- I think that's a really good point. And, and- by the way, that sounds, I've never been in that position, right? To, to interview somebody who is going to be, you know, at that, in that role, like relative to me. But I, I think that's probably a good thing. I think there's, there was one person I knew who was going for a similar role and they were talking about their interviews with, with their like direct reports, right? But you're probably in the best position to pick, right? Because this is gonna massively affect your work and everything downstream from you and it's just it's just an interesting uh, uh, kind of switcheroo that I don't think everybody gets to experience that that process. Yeah, it's it's a tough one too because basically you have to admit the things that you need help with, and you know as developers, you know sometimes we don't like doing that. But you have to be able to step back, look at it, the entire process, the entire engineering org, and say, these are the things that I need help with. These are the things that I need to be championed across the, the rest of the organization. And this is how you can help me. So, you know, you want to bring this position in. You want them to be able to consult you on their on your career, of course. But also to be able to ask them, hey, when you come in, like, I need you to help me. And so uh, it's definitely a different interaction as opposed to the other side where I'm currently hiring a React developer and I am going to be in the round one of interviews. And right now I'm trying to craft, you know, as someone who doesn't write React, what kinds of questions can I ask someone to be able to form a technical assessment 
before they get to the front end team? Yeah, I mean, so, and I, I guess it could apply to any technology, right? So if you're if you're versed in something, and then, but I, I will admit, React is, from what I understand in my experience, you know, it is a hop, skip, and a jump away from if you have primary Ruby and Rails backend experience. Uh, so, like, can somebody fake it really well? <laughs> like, or or because I think you know us talking. If if there's a third person. We aren't judging them or anything, but you do you get a feeling for like what somebody understands, and then, you know, if they don't understand certain things, maybe we define things for them, and we're a little bit more verbose in the explanation of concepts. But then, if you know somebody like to a certain level, you start using crazy terms like bike shedding or whatever, you know, like industry terms. Um, but with React, that's that's got to be uh, an interesting one to find. Are there good? <laughs> but I, I don't know. Do you look up guides on that? Do you talk to do you, do you pull people who, who also have hired React or maybe just talk to your front end team? How, how do you approach that? Yeah, so right now, like our round one is the person goes through and does like a culture fit. And I don't know if this is what happened with you at Shopify as well, but then I'm part of round one as well, where I really, I think I'm good. My goal is to find a technical culture fit. So I'm certainly not going to be asking them, you know, how do you interact with an array? But I might be asking them, like, what experience do you have deploying production? What experience do you have, you know, integrating with an API that you have terrible documentation with? Like, those kinds of things. Because I want to be able to capture, A, are they ambitious? And B, are they curious? Because for the most part, you know, if you can capture those things, they're probably a good developer. That's a good point. And, and having ambitious, I like that, ambitious and curious. I'll remember that. Because, um, you know, if they have that, gaps can be filled to an extent, obviously. But um, if they say, say you rely on one React library or dependency big time and they've never seen it, like you wouldn't worry about that. Like you, you, they should be able to, you know, upskill on that. And I guess general technical conversations back end to front end, you, you, you get a feeling just for the person is that, you know, because you work with your front enders all day, right? So you, you have an idea for how those conversations go. Totally agreed. Well, speaking of JavaScript, you promised the last time you were on the show that you were going to come back and talk to us about stimulus. So I'm going to hold you to that, Nick. <laughs> all right. Okay. So again, I don't know about a quarter ago, maybe a little, actually, I think we, this is a slightly longer gap um, than usual, but for us, but um, I made a promise because, you know, I look at Twitter and my whole universe is shaped by whatever my Ruby people on Twitter are saying. And everyone was talking about stimulus, flex and, and, and all that. Uh, literally, like, I don't, I think this might be literally the day after I recorded that with you. And it might might be. I, I wish I would have looked at it up. Within a day or so, everything blew up, and their hot wire was announced. Literally right after that. So I remember, like, I had this whole repository set up: stimulus reflex, stimulus reflex, and then DHH. And everybody's like, hot wire, hot wire. I was like, oh no. Uh, well, I guess I'll get to that after I do stimulus reflex. But no, I have. I fibbed. I just said, forget it. I'm going to just try hot wire. Um, no shade on stimulus reflex. I think it's amazing and I love the work they're doing on that. Um, and also I did see like there was, you know, a tiny bit of tension in Twitter about this announcement because so much good work's going on stimulus reflex. And it's like, uh, is Hotwire eating their lunch? Is it, you know, kind of competing? 
I'm not, I am not venturing an opinion on any of that. It's just, this is coming from Rails core. It is talking directly about um, front end things, using your existing HTML for uh, people who aren't front enders to have, you know, reactive uh, applications. And I just got to say, without going into uh, technical aspects, I really enjoyed working with Hotwire. Um, I don't do, as a habit, really responsive things, right? I don't write React. I don't, uh, you know, in, in minutes, here I am uh, with two different browsers open on two different monitors uh, on a local host with a chat room built up, two people talking, and both screens are updating in real time. And my, you know, uh, uh, reactive specific code is next to nothing. It really reminds me of like, you know, if you want to like slap a view cache in action view, you can just do your cache do block or whatever, and you just kind of compose a key based on the object. It felt that simple to build these frames. And then you, then you hook up a couple of things on the back end, and then there's, you know, if you need a bit of Ruby to talk to a database to get you some spe special information, it's it's easily done. I think it was in the in the controller. Sorry, is a it's been a while since I've had my big dive on this because I, I don't work on hot wires professionally. But um, yes, I, I'd like to say, and and since then, there's the hot wire rails you know gem that DHH himself has put out there. If you just want to get it straight into your application, and I would heart, heartily recommend. Given that a try, you know, if you if you have a vanilla, say, bootstrapped Rails application with in your only reactiveness is jQuery, maybe, and uh, which is fine. But if you just see something, and you're like, gosh, I want something a bit more dynamic to happen on this action. I want a little chat block or I, or, or I want something responsive to happen in the in the page without rewriting everything. I I'd suggest giving Hotwire a try. I don't know if you've had a look at it. To take a quick break to introduce you to an ambitious junior developer looking for their first role. All of Randy's contact information is in the show notes. Randy, take it away. Hello listeners, this is Randy. I'm a recent graduate of Flatiron School Software Engineering Program. I'm proficient with Ruby, Ruby on Rails, JavaScript, as well as React and Redux, and I am looking for my first role as a developer. So if you are in the market for a junior developer, I would certainly love to connect with you. You can reach me on LinkedIn, Twitter, GitHub, at Randy Steele. Thank you so much, and thank you, Brittany, for this opportunity. I have gone through some of the tutorials, but I haven't coded directly to it. I, you know, definitely enjoyed the announcement video. I'm curious if you followed along with a tutorial when you built your chat app. Yeah, so was, wasn't, wasn't it that, uh, did, was it DHH who did a demo video and then... Mm -hmm. They, everyone joked that you had to watch it at 0 0.25 speed if you wanted to follow along. Yes. Because it, he tried to do it in like 15 minutes, like the famous, like what, 15 year ago video where he goes, oops, you know, and he tried to do that demo, but for Hotwire, but there's so much stuff. It's kind of like, you know, how in Ruby Tapas, they have really specific cool things happening in the video, but this was like 10 times faster. Um, and he's like, oh, and now we just like have all these controllers and all this code. Now, next thing. Um, but yeah, I, I, I followed along with um, some of the initial documentation, and then I just kind of came up with a couple of my own ideas. Now, GoRails, I think, had some great stuff on it, our friend Chris over there. Um, but I just kind of decided I wanted to build a, a, I had a, I had a toy application. I added a tab for a chat 
and I wanted to be able to create a, a chat between two individuals, so no groups or anything, and uh, have it in two existing browsers, you know, updating in real time. And that's what I kind of built it around. And it was, it was pretty slick. Um, found a bug, but this was three months ago. Um, but only one buggy thing uh, that was found is not bad for, for an idiot like me coding around on the front end. So, What is your take on it being shipped as part of Rails 7? So I think that Rails supports as a first-class citizen anything you want to do on the front end. Um, you know, I think this is public that Shopify is very cool with React, like, you know, and that is in the world of Rails. So React on Rails is not, you know, a, a second class citizen is very commonly used in a few different ways. But I think having something baked in also from, from our Rails core friends and, and those in the community just saying, we want to continue to provide this functionality, I think is great. I don't think it'll be like CoffeeScript where it's got, you know not really used in a few years. I think um, the idea where you, because we're still in a world where plain old, you know, uh, action view Rails applications, CRUD with nothing works great for a lot of things. Like if you're doing like internal dashboards for a company or something, you get so far with that. And for those people who are kind of in that spectrum and just want to add a couple things, you know, I think yeah, you could jQuery it or you could uh, hotwire it. And maybe hotwire will be a bit, you know, you have the code, the relevant code there in the view that you that you want to use. So um, I think it's a good idea. I think it's a good idea, too. I think it's going to be different in the sense that it's just a new dependency that we now are probably going to have updated constantly. And, you know, how does scaffolding work, you knowing that you have Hotwire as a default? I think it could definitely lend to that whole magical feel when you're running a, a workshop like Rails Bridge or Rails Girls. Yeah, definitely, right? It's another thing to learn. It's not like, I think active storage was super easy to pick up. I don't, I think Hotwire is gonna have a little bit more of an onboarding, especially just the concepts. They're not things I think about. I think about storage, but I don't really think about you know, oh, this this frame doing this thing, you know, like you're going to have to onboard the concepts and then also what what's the way that Hotwire wants it to do, you know, work for you. But hopefully with time, yes, I believe in the magic. I believe in Rails magic. And I think this could be a good avenue to support that if you want it. I believe in the Rails magic is a perfect way to wrap up the show. <laughs> Nick, thanks so much for coming back today and congratulations on the new gig. Thank you very much. Looking forward to speaking again soon. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 network. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review and thank you for listening.